You know, as you start Christmas season, Christmas uh, starts with such like hope for peace, right? Like we have this idea, Christmas comes and we have this picture. Maybe for you it's chestnuts roasting on the open fire. And you picture like the family all on their ugly sweater together and smiling. And you picture, you know, all everybody around the tree and there's, there's little gifts and there's the perfect little meal and all that thing. Uh, we have that idea of, of the perfect Christmas and the, the Christmas season that brings us peace. And then when Christmas actually comes, you are filled with a little bit of reality, right? The Christmas season becomes filled with, with, with stress and tension that kind of robs us of the peace that we initially were longing for, right? You go out and you, you go shopping and you find all the crowds. And you meet the Scrooge who is the cashier trying to check you out. And they're just so ungrateful and mean. And you're like, man, this is robbing me of some of my peace. So then you have the stress that we put on ourselves over finding the right gifts for the family members. And you, we have that stress that comes on that. Then we have the stress of when they open the gift and they're like, oh, this is wonderful. And you're like, oh, crap, I don't know if I got the right thing. And then there's the stress that comes from the credit card statement that comes in January. And so oftentimes for Christmas, we have this hope for peace. But there's all these things that rob us of our peace. And that's before even we gather with our family for Christmas, right? Because Christmas can be challenging because sometimes we deal with difficult people during Christmas, right? Like every family has one of those people, right? Who is it in your family? Every family has one of those difficult people. Not necessarily the black sheep of the family, but we're talking about that family member that is just a little bit mean, a little bit rude, maybe obnoxious. Maybe it's a family member who, who, who says the wrong thing at the wrong time and does not have any tact on one day. They're inconsiderate. And listen, here's, here's, I've said this before, here's a secret. If you're thinking about your family and like, we don't have that person in our family, there's a chance it might be you. There's just a chance you might be that person. In fact, I saw this week there was a pastor who gathered a bunch of people, and they said, I want you to give me a word picture for that person in your family. You know, that, that one person. And, and here's some of the word pictures that they came up with. One guy said, my brother is like a parasite on my neck. He doesn't work, and he always expects us to provide. He's a parasite on my neck. Another, uh, another, uh, another guy said, my mother is like a cactus wearing a silk shirt. She looks nice, and everybody thinks she's amazing on social media, but then when you get close to her, she's prickly, she's self-consumed, and she's angry when things don't go her way. Ooh, a cactus in a silk shirt. Another, another gal said, my aunt is like a marble column. She's dignified, she's noble, she's also stuck up and hard and uncompassionate. What's the word picture for you for that? person in your family that just makes things difficult. See, what's hard, what's hard about Christmas season is we can pick our nose and we can pick our friends, but we don't get to pick our family, right? And so if you've got the knowing neighbor, guess what? You can move. And if you've got, if you've got the knowing boss, you can find another job. But with family, it's different. You're kind of stuck with them. In fact, there's an old Disney movie uh, called Song of the South. And, and there's a scene from that movie. Uh, the, the movie carries, goes through the life of uh, Briar Rabbit. 
And one of the scenes of that movie is, is, is the wily fox is trying to trick and get Briar Rabbit. And so what Wiley Fox does is he makes a, a baby made out of tar. He makes a little doll made out of tar, and he sets it along the path, and here comes Briar Rabbit walking along, and, and he sees this baby, and he's like, hey, baby, what's up? And he waits. The baby doesn't respond because it's a doll. It's made of tar. But Briar Rabbit's like, what? You're not, you're not responding to me? So Briar Rabbit says, I'm, I'm going to try again. He, he walks by again and says, hey, baby, what's up? And of course, the tar baby doesn't respond. The briar rabbit gets a little bit angry and like, like, how dare you be so inconsiderate? Briar rabbit says, I'm going to teach this baby a lesson. Gets ready, takes a right hook, smashes the fist into the baby and gets his fist stuck in the tar, right? It's like, what do I do now? He takes his left fist and punches the tar baby. And now he's got both hands stuck in the tar. Isn't Sometimes, isn't that kind of what family is like, right? You feel stuck, and you're trying to talk to them. You're trying to, to help them see what's going wrong, and they just don't listen. They don't respond, and so you just get stuck a little bit worse. We're in a series uh, this Christmas that we're calling Home, home for the Holidays, this idea that for many of us, we are going to go home and spend time with family this Christmas, and that's good because our family, we've got feelings of, of family and laughter and love and acceptance, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. But then there's also some of us where uh, going home for the holidays is not something necessarily to be enjoyed. It's something more so to be endured. We've got the anticipation of seeing the in-laws. We've got that crazy aunt or uncle we're praying our kids are staying off the naughty list, which seems sometimes improbable. And so we recognize sometimes going home for the holidays brings challenges. And so we're having this conversation this month on how we redeem this idea of going home for the holidays, how we deal with sometimes the, the chaos and dysfunction in our families over Christmas time. So hopefully God can use us in our families uh, to work through us. And today... Today we're going to deal with that idea of conflict. Because oftentimes when we're dealing with family, there tends to be some conflict. And so, and so it's kind of like this, you know, going home for the holidays, you know you're going to deal with a cactus wearing a silk shirt. You know, things will get prickly at some point. And so here's my encouragement for you this morning. If you're thinking about your family, you're like, yes, I can picture that person. I know exactly who it is. I dread what they're going to say every year. Here's my encouragement to you. Is if, is if, God can bring peace in the middle of a stable, of, of Jesus in a manger with farm animals all around him. If God can bring peace in the middle of that, and certainly I believe God can bring peace in the middle of the mess and the dysfunction of your family. So this morning, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church at Colossia. And this is a church that kind of struggled with what they're believing. They did not necessarily believe that Christ was sufficient in himself. And so they started doing what many of us do, where they say, okay, here's Jesus, but then I'm going to add maybe some wisdom of the world, maybe some of my own logic. And so sure, we believe in Jesus, but the Colossians were saying, well, we also need to believe uh, maybe in some rules, you know, some, some uh, uh, rules that we have to follow, very legalistic. And they said, well, maybe on top of Jesus, maybe we have to add some spiritualism, some uh, uh, mysticism, some spiritual experiences. 
And so they're taking this great thing of Jesus and they're adding their own thoughts and logic to it. And Paul is writing this letter to talk about, to tell them, listen, Christ is sufficient in his own. You don't have to add to Jesus. Jesus is enough. He's our all-sufficient redeemer and savior. And Paul, as he's writing this letter to, to these people, he's saying, Christ is sufficient. And when you believe that, man, that's when God begins to change you. That's where you are redeemed and your character's redeemed. And it changes the way you interact with people. It changes how you interact in your family. And so we're going to see today, Colossians chapter 3, on, on how we can find peace, uh, maybe in the midst of difficult people, maybe in the dysfunction of our family. But I think there's an answer to how we can find peace. In fact, here's, here's what Paul said in verse 15 of our text. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Now, isn't that what we want? We want the peace of Christ to rule our hearts this Christmas time. I mean, isn't, isn't that what Christmas is about? And that, in fact, I think about in Luke chapter 2, the angels came. And the angel said, behold, we bring you tidings of great joy. A Savior is born to you. And then the angel said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on those whom he favors. Right? We want that peace. We want rest. We want calmness. We want wholeness. We want this idea that everything is all right. That's what Christmas tells us, is we can have that peace. But here's the problem. So often we have a misconstrued view of what peace actually is, right? Where Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace, but then we think, well, peace comes from maybe my bank account being full. Peace comes from my relationships being uh, strong and there being no problems in my relationships. Peace comes from the absence of conflict. And we start looking for peace in all these places around us. And if that's the case, if peace comes from our circumstances, then we have to say peace is not a constant. Peace can be taken away from us, right? Because here's, at least here's my experience of life. And I think scripture backs us up. When we go through life, we go through storms of life, right? I mean, this happens to both Christians and non-Christians. We go through life and, and, and we go through stuff, right? Things break. Health begins to struggle. Relationships struggle. People die. These are things that we can't, we can't stop those things from happening. They're just a part of life. And what happens if we, if we take our peace and we anchor it on our circumstances, then what happens when our circumstances get difficult? Then we lose our peace. Our peace is taken from you. So we need to have this bigger picture of what peace is all about. Peace is not something that's tied to our circumstances. Peace is a gift from God. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, Jesus said, peace I give to you. My peace I, I'm giving to you. Jesus said, Peace is my gift to you. And this idea when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, this, I, this picture of peace is a picture of maybe a nation or a city that, that, that knows what it's like to have a caring, competent, secure leader over them. That city may go through some hard stuff, but they know they've got a leader who is watching over them. That is what peace really is. Peace is simply a tranquility of heart, a confidence within our heart, knowing that our life is in the hand of a loving God. Peace 
is a result of us resting in the fact that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is at work in our lives for his good and, no, for our good and for his glory. And so what, what we need to understand about peace is peace is a gift from God. Peace is us knowing that our life is in God's control. And if that's the case, then no one can take God's peace from us. If peace is simply a gift from God and simply knowing that God is in control, nobody can take that away from you. Because no matter what you face, no matter if you face that difficult family person, if you have a difficult circumstance, if you have a jerk for a boss, all those things, God is still in control. And so we would look and say, this is why Scripture calls peace, God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Because no matter what we face, we can still have peace knowing that God is in control. In fact, this is how this is how Jesus, think about Jesus, the story of Jesus. This is how he could endure the cross with peace and confidence. Because no matter what the enemies of Jesus did, he knew God was in control. He knew that God had a purpose. He knew that God had a plan. So peace, we need to learn. Nobody can steal our peace from us. But I will say what can happen is while no one can steal our peace, we can give our peace away. We can allow someone else to take it. Because what happens is when we place our hope and our peace in our circumstances, when we base our, our peace on our circumstances, when our circumstances get challenging, we are essentially giving our peace away to those circumstances. Right? So when you've got that difficult family person, when you've got that difficult boss, whatever it happens to be, they may be the biggest jerk, but again, they don't change the fact that God is in control, that your life is in the hand of God. But when we take our focus off of God, instead of focusing on God and knowing that we are in his control, and we take that focus off of God and put it onto our circumstance, put it onto that difficult person, we are giving our peace away. Instead of focusing on God, reminding of his control, we focus on that person. We focus and say, if I'm going to have peace, then this person needs to change. I need to change their behavior. I need to change their attitude towards me. And we're taking our peace away from what God has given. We're putting on this person, essentially becoming in bondage to their opinions, in bondage to the chaos that they tried to create in our lives. This is why we have to understand what peace is. Peace is us knowing that God is in control of our life. And this is, why, this is why Paul says in our text in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. He's saying, listen, let it, let it rule your heart. You've got to know and believe that God is in control. You've got to believe that in your heart so that way you're not swept up by people and circumstances that can be challenging. Now, Whenever I come to a passage like this in Scripture and, and I hear that statement, hey, God's peace is available to you, you just have to believe, I'm like, that's great. That sounds great. The question is, how do I actually do that? How do I allow the peace of Christ to rule my heart despite this difficult family person, despite these challenging circumstances? And the good news is, Paul actually gave the answer to that. Look back in Colossians 3 verse 1. Paul says this, Paul says, 
if then you have been raised with Christ. And this is important. This is important. This is all of chapter 3. It's based on this idea right here. If you've been raised with Christ, what Paul is saying is if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have a relationship with God, I think he's speaking to us. He's saying if you have a relationship with God, then there's something different about you that makes you different than the world around you. What is that? Verse 8. Paul says, listen, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are a Christian, verse 8 says, but now you must put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language and deceit. Paul's saying, listen, if you are a Christian, you're going to put these things away. These sinful characteristics will no longer define your life and your relationships. Think about this list. Think about these words. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, deceit. Let me ask you this. Let's, let's just do this for a second. I want you to have in mind that obnoxious uncle, that rude sibling, that jerk of a boss. Let me ask you this. What do you do when they push your buttons? Oftentimes, when somebody is, is rude to us, we respond in the same way. We get angry, right? Maybe we begin to rage. We have some hostility towards that person. We might slander that person. We might call that person names. We might tell them exactly what we think of them. We might go and tell someone else what we think of them. We might go and tell everybody else what they did. This, isn't this what we do? Like, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You, you are rude to me, man, I'm going to be rude right back to you, right? This is our human nature. This is our natural inclination. Well, I'm not going to let you walk all over me. Let's just ask this, though. When someone's been angered, angry to you, and you've been angry back, has that ever solved the issues? Returning anger for anger, has that ever solved the issue? You know what? That's how wars are started. That's how murders happen. That's how relationships are blown up. Has it ever worked? See, here's what Colossians is saying. Here's what Paul is saying. If you want the peace of Christ to rule your heart this Christmas, he says, put away these things. Take off these things. Don't let these things be in you. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language and deceit. Put off these sinful, natural attitudes. And not just put those things off. There's more to it. Because look at verse 12. Paul says, put off these things, and I want you to put on these new things. He says, I want you to put on and have a compassionate heart. This means to have mercy. This means to extend mercy rather than being responding in harshness. He says, put on kindness. Kindness is an action that reveals our compassion. So it's not just that we have compassion on someone, we actually act on it and show them it through our kindness that we're concerned for them. He says put on humility. You know what humility is? Humility is when we consider others more significant than ourselves. Which means when that rude person comes in, 
rather than thinking only about me and how they've wronged me, I'm going to put their needs above my own. He says, you want peace to rule your heart this Christmas? Put on meekness. You know what meekness is? I love the idea of meekness. Meekness is strength under control. I have this picture of always, every time you hear the word meekness, I have this picture of a, of a, of a strong, muscular man, much like myself, holding a newborn baby. The strength under control to hold that baby in a soft way. Meekness means instead of reacting out of anger, which you might feel justified in doing, instead you choose to control that strength and put under submission. He says, put on patience. Patience simply means to be pleasant in unpleasant circumstances. He says, he says verse 13, bear with one another. And forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. You must also forgive. You know how huge that statement is? You know how huge the statement that Jesus just made about forgiveness is? And I want to be clear. Like when he talks about forgiveness, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you can't air out a grievance. This doesn't mean that someone wrongs you. It doesn't mean that you can't say, hey, what you did hurt me and this is why. But what it means is once you tell the other person how they hurt you, it means that you forgive it. It means that you don't hold it against them anymore. It means you don't bring it up every time they do something wrong. Hey, remember you did this before again and again and again? Paul's saying, listen, listen, if you want the peace of Christ to rule your family this Christmas, you've got to put on forgiveness. And finally, if you want the peace of Christ to rule your family this Christmas, verse 14, above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is simply, uh, simply an, an, act of, an action or devotion towards someone else. It's showing care and concern. You see, when we're talking about love, we're not talking about the mushy Hallmark movie, you know, all those Christmas Hallmark movies that are all that mushy kind of love. We're not talking about love like that. We're talking about the kind of love that God has for you and I. The kind of love that God has for us. See, God loves us even though we don't deserve it, right? God loves us even though we don't deserve it. And this is what God is saying for us. He expects us to, to show care and concern for the people who don't necessarily deserve it, which includes the crazy aunt and uncle. It, it includes the mother who's a cactus in a, in a silk shirt includes all these different people. Now, let's just, this is why I, I just want to be honest here, right? Like, I, like, I, like I, I'm a Christian. I love God. I've given my life to Jesus. But can we acknowledge, especially in times when we're dealing with, with crazy family members and challenging people and bad drivers and all these different things, can we honest, can I just at least share for me how often I respond out of my human nature? The anger, the wrath, the malice, the hostility, the name-calling. When someone wrongs me, I have this flesh that wants to defend myself. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You're rude to me, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to shut them up. And again, maybe you're like me. I think I'm chief at this. Where I, I know I shouldn't respond in this way, 
But man, I'm so quick to justify myself. Well, it's not my fault I responded that way. They, they, they deserved it. They, they, they needed to be put in their place. Someone had to do it. Might as well be me. And I'm so quick to justify those things that we're not supposed to have in our character, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the filthy language, the deceit. See, George Bernard Shaw, the author, he said this. He said, I learned long ago, never wrestle with a pig because you get dirty and the pig likes it. Like how true is that in our relationships? You've got that person that's just contentious and you feel like, man, I'm going to go back right and I'm going to give it back to them. And we're given exactly what they want. And we get dirty and look like a pig. This is where we have a choice to make. Do we want to be right or do we want to be righteous? There's a huge difference between the two. Because I can feel very justified to respond in anger and malice and frustration to somebody who's wronged me. Or I can choose to be righteous. Respond the way that Jesus would. To respond the way that Jesus would has asked me to respond. See, as Christians, we're called to live differently. We're called to to put off our sinful nature, to put off the anger, the malice, the, the, the return hurt for hurt. We're called to put those things off and put on godly character. In fact, we just went through a series on the sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit which means if we are actually walking with God, if we are, are, are walking in the power of a spirit, then our family members should see the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. If we're walking with God, our family should see those things in us. And listen, that includes that difficult family member, that frustrating family member. Proverbs 15.1. Again, the wisdom of the word of God. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of us have been there? Right? Right? Listen, I want to clarify what I'm saying, though. I don't mean, I'm not meaning that you can't put, uh, you have to tolerate horrible people in your life. I, I don't mean that. I mean, boundaries are important. And boundaries are often necessary to protect you and protect your family members. Sometimes you've got to put these boundaries in place to say, listen, I can't allow you to destroy our family in this way. But here's the key. The key is when you put up those boundaries, are you reacting to that person out of your flesh, out of the wrath, the anger, the frustration? Or are you choosing to respond through the power of Jesus? When you're confronting that obnoxious person, that difficult person? Are you living out your faith so they can see your faith in Jesus in your, in your uh, interactions with that person? See, here's, here's this idea, Home for the Holidays, this series that we're in. Going home for the holidays, and we want the peace of Christ to rule our Christmas. Yet as we face difficult people, as we face difficult circumstances, Paul is telling us that peace will rule our hearts as we live with godly character, as we choose to walk in the Spirit, as we choose to to live the way that God has called us to live. In fact, I'll just be honest here, at least for me, having godly character despite challenging people, 
in the middle of difficult circumstances, that may be one of the hardest things of our faith, right? That may be one of the hardest things of our faith. Yet the more I read Scripture, the more I see how incredibly important this idea is of what our character and what our reactions look like in difficult circumstances. In fact, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said, do do good to those who hate you. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 8, or or Luke 6, verse 35, Jesus says, love your enemies and do what is good. Land and expect nothing in return. Uh, Then your reward will be great. See, I, I, I would actually go on a limb to say this. That the test of our godly character, the test of how much the test of how, how much we're walking with God is more so related in how we deal with difficult people. And not just the people that are easy to love. Not just the family members that are nice and smiling and submissive and, and act like everything's fine. No, the, the challenge to show our, what our faith looks like is when we're dealing with difficult people. Here's the, here's the thing. How do we do this? How do we live this out? In fact, here's the thing with Christianity. I can't say this enough because I find myself reverting away from it. Christianity is not about trying harder. It's not. See, we're, we learn in religion. Religion says all these things we have to do to make God approve of us. We've got to jump through the, hole, the hoops. We've got to follow the rules. We've got to try really hard to be a good person And if that's what religion is, then Christianity in that regard is not a religion. Christianity is not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us. This is why in verse 12, this is why Colossians 3 verse 12, Paul writes and says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Listen, this is you. You are God's chosen one. You are holy. You are beloved. See, what does he mean by by chosen one? It means that God looked over the course of humanity. He looked over the entire world, all the people who ever lived, and he chose you. He set his affection on you. This might be why you are here today. Because God has chosen you, and he is drawing you into a relationship with him today. Listen, we are chosen by God. Paul says we are holy. We are holy. You know, the weird thing is, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize how unholy I am. How unholy my thoughts can be. How that natural flesh, the anger, the rage, the spite, man, it comes so often on me. And see, when we're called holy, It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. And when we place our faith in him, God no longer sees us in our sin and our rebellion and out of our natural flesh. He doesn't see us in our anger and wrath and and all those things. He sees Christ in us. He sees Christ going to the cross in our place and giving us his righteousness and taking his sin upon himself. So we can be called holy 
Not because we're so great, but because of what Christ has done in our place. And he calls us beloved. This means that we are loved by God. You know how great that is? See, if we were to look at, if we were to look at humanity, every one of us in this room, every one of us listening today, we'd be that obnoxious person in, in the family. We'd be that one that, that is, is, is pushes the buttons. We'd be the one, in terms of God, who has pushed the buttons, who said the wrong thing, who's done the wrong thing, yet God still chooses to love us. You are beloved by God. And you begin to say, well, I just don't know. I, I don't feel I'm loved by God. Listen, God has proven his love for you. He's proven his love for you while we were still sinners. Jesus went to the cross and died in our place, and he rose from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and death and hell so we could be redeemed, so we could be made holy, so we could come into a relationship with him. Listen, Paul said this. Christ says this. You are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And this whole idea about about putting off these, these sinful characteristics and putting on the godly characteristics, it comes not by us trying harder. It comes by us resting in the gospel, believing what Jesus has done for us. The fact that we are chosen and holy and beloved. Because it's, it's, as we, it's as we grasp onto the gospel, as we, as we hold on to what Christ has done for us, that is a power that fuels us to put off those sinful characteristics and to put on the godly characteristics. It's as, we, it's as we rest in what God has done for us that truly we get to experience peace ruling our hearts. No matter what difficult people we face, no matter what circumstances we go through. I know you're sitting here and you're like, oh man, Kevin, I thought you were going to give me something really good so I could throw up my family this Christmas time because, you know, that person drives me crazy. Listen, I do want to give you a little bit of, of uh, something fun, something for you to do, something for you to think about this Christmas. Again, we're talking about going home for the holidays. And whether you have a, a good and loving family and your family is going to be easy and fun, it's going to be a great celebration, or whether, whether you have a challenging family, I want to give you just a single thought to shape your attitude this Christmas. A thought that has pretty tremendous power to it. A thought that might actually impact your family, especially that obnoxious person. Here's the thought. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill them with kindness. I want you to kill them with kindness. You ever heard that proverb before? This idea, this statement? This statement came from a proverb that was sometime around the 1500s. And it came from the idea that, that w w when you have apes, like an ape family, you got mama ape, and she would take the little baby ape, and, and what does the mom want to do? She wants to hug the baby. And the mama ape would hug that baby so tight that she would actually strangle that ape. And, and, and crush that ape. It was the kindness of the mom that killed the baby. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that you squeeze the life out of your family. Please don't do that. I am not telling you to do that. But I want you to recognize that idea of the power of kindness. Listen, your kindness can transform your relationships. 
You choosing to kill them with kindness can change your marriage, can change your children. In fact, I want you to see this. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul said something else. Romans 12, Paul said, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. But look at verse 20. Jesus says, or Paul says, on the contrary, when your enemy is hungry, feed them. When your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. And by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. You know what Paul just said? Paul just said, kill them with kindness. That your kindness will bring discomfort into those people's lives. Listen, I cannot, I'm not telling you as a guarantee that if you show kindness to your family that it will have an immediate impact on people around you. But what, what I do know is there is a tremendous power in our kindness that is unexpected. And it's through that power that God can often do tremendous things that we could never do on our own. Again, we can return hit for hit. And how's that worked for us? So I want to challenge you. Kill them with kindness and just see what God would do in your relationships. In fact, there's a story of this. Abraham Lincoln was running for president a long time ago. I'd tell you the years, but I'd probably get them wrong. And uh, while he's running for president, there was a man who ran around the country who constantly criticized Abe Lincoln, who would say all sorts of bad things about him, all sorts of unkind words, even going as far as not just saying all the dumb things that Abraham Lincoln did, he would make fun of Abraham Lincoln's appearance. Did you see that hat on that guy's head? Just making fun of him and just being a jerk. Well, of course, Abe Lincoln, he won, became president and as Abraham Lincoln was looking over the course of the United States, he's looking for a man to serve as setting up his cabinet. And he chose a guy by the name of Edwin Stanton to, see, to serve as his secretary of war. And his advisors heard about this. You chose this guy, Edwin Stanton? Yo, President Lincoln, do you know that this is the same guy that's been running around the country saying all sorts of crap about you? Do you know this is the guy who said terrible things about you? President Lincoln, do you know this is a guy who's trying to defeat you? You know what Lincoln said? He said, yeah. Yeah, I've heard everything he said about me. But when I looked across the country, he was the best man to do his job. One of his colleagues was absolutely shocked and was like, I, I don't know. Lincoln, like, Abe, I, I don't know how you could do this. I don't know why you would do this. And this is how Abe Lincoln responded. He said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? I think he just said, I killed them with kindness. Stanton became the Secretary of War and gave inv invaluable service to his country and to Abraham Lincoln. In fact, when Lincoln was assassinated, many said that Stanton had made one of the greatest statements made about President Lincoln. He said, President Lincoln was one of the greatest men who ever lived, who now belongs to the ages. Listen, this Christmas, nobody can steal your peace. God's gift to us is peace. 
as we recognize that our hands, are, our life is in his hands. That is where peace comes from. And as we walk in him and as we respond to the world around us in godly character, that peace cannot be taken from us. That peace will be ours no matter what. As you think about going home and facing, facing the, the cactus in a silk shirt, do not let that person steal your peace. Do not take your focus off of the fact that God is in control, that God has a purpose, that God is working things out for our good and for his glory. Because the moment we take our eyes off of God and put it onto that person, we are allowing that person to take our peace. We are giving our peace away to that person. This Christmas, peace is yours. Peace is yours as you focus on Christ. Let's pray.